Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. This episode of The Sharon Tapes was made possible by our supporters on Patreon. Junka, Jason Winters, Dominica Idel Descova, and Jason Pillay. If you'd like to support the show as well, please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. For as little as $5 a month, you get early access to ad-free versions of episodes, a special weekly behind-the-scenes podcast, and patron-only AMA live streams. Before we get started, this episode contains mentions of death, disappearance, and loss, discussions of colonialism and its effects on the Americas, familial separation and conflict, paranoia, and dread. Content warnings and a full transcript are available in the show notes. I'm sorry, Maria. It's just... I don't want to talk about it. Maybe later. Yeah. Okay. Sure. What is it? Text from Kate. Wild day over here. Hope you're well. Andrew loves the plush cat you got him. Love you so much. Hope we get to see you next year. Merry Christmas. Oh, let me see. Now that's cute. By the way, Mom asked about you again. I told her you were busy. Let me know if there's anything you want me to pass on. Sorry. (laughs) No worries. I have a lot on my plate right now. Andrew's adorable. Merry Christmas to you all. I'll try to make it next year. (laughs) I always forget how different Christmas is for your family. (laughs) I know. It's weird. I really can't picture the Sheridan Slates being down for an all-night Christmas Eve rager, though. I wish you could come. Maybe some year. Later. After. I don't know. I'm in no rush. But it really is fun. Colombians do it better, you know. (laughs) You sure you aren't just trying to get out of flying back here first thing Christmas morning? Hey, I don't mind. Anything's possible with enough coffee. And besides, I wanted to be here. You're being awfully sweet today. Just... feeling grateful for what I have. What we have. Hello, Earth to Maria. (laughs) Sorry, just thinking about... Never mind. What? Well... I 
heard some more of my parents' story last night. How they got here from Colombia. Mom was, uh, sufficiently drunk by the end of the night to let her walls down a bit. What did she say? It was more of the emotional side of it. I knew the practicals, but... Well, she started off by apologizing for not telling me the whole story, like, the whole, whole story. She said something like, uh, The things that don't matter, I yell. And the things that do matter, I take to my grave. But I don't want to take this to my grave. Whoa. Do you want to... Could you tell me about it? It's, uh... Parts of it are still... Painful. To, uh, reflect on. Would it be easier if I got the tape recorder? I know it helps me. (laughs) You sure you don't just want a recording for yourself? Whatever she told you, it's a part of who you are. I want to know it. And I don't ever want to forget the details. Oh, fine. You old sweet talker, you. (laughs) Tell me a story. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Honoring 
remote island in Frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Caldwell. Uh, hello there. How was your holiday? Well, I, uh, after I got back from New Orleans, which I'm very sorry about how that turned out, Dr. Caldwell. I mean, about the team. I had no idea they would... <clears throat> I, uh, managed to catch a quick flight up to Rochester to see Adam, so that was nice. How was yours? I also managed to visit back home. To see my parents. How are they doing? Meet me in my office after five. <sighs> Sorry you had to see that. She seems pissed. Sorry, I I know I was the one to suggest the road trip, but I didn't think... Don't be too hard on yourself. I'm pretty sure it was just the absent talking. We'll have plenty of time to talk it over, Sam. After Caldwell's done handing me my ass. (sighs) I should have known better. Hell, so should I. It'll work out. Somehow. Sorry to butt in. Sam, can I talk to you and Bill for a second? Uh, sure, Jerry. What's uh, what's going on? Is something wrong? Nothing's wrong. Just wanted to talk something through with both of you. How was your Christmas, Kate? I forgot to ask. Well, I, I really wish I'd made it back in time to see Andrew before he went to bed on Christmas Eve, but can't help engine troubles, I guess. But we made up for it, I think. Tried to, at least. Peter got Caldwell's permission to order some kids' gymnastics equipment to the facility, and we set it all up in one of the empty conference rooms. <laughs> Andrew loved it, spent all day playing. So did we, honestly. Peter's still sleeping it off. <laughs> we get to leave it up for another week. We have to take it down once everyone's back after New Year's. <laughs> well, I called dibs before that. I can probably keep up with him a little easier than you two. No offense. (laughs) Andrew will remember the effort you put in to try and make things feel closer to normal, I guess. It's not about it being perfect, you know? Just being together. Yeah. You know... If you're interested, I have another, uh, personal tape in the old archive. Anna ended up with the original, but I digitized it before she disappeared. There we go. What is it? It's about my family. How they left Columbia and ended up in Phoenix. It doesn't really have much to do with Anna, but... No, I'd love to hear it if you're comfortable sharing. Really? Please. Anna didn't... 
Well, she, she didn't feel safe to tell us much about you outside of work, which breaks my heart, but uh, I understand why now. I want to know whatever you're willing to share, that is. Thanks, Kate. That, that means a lot to me. All right. One Maria Soul Christmas special coming up. So, I mentioned what my mom said about not wanting to take things to her grave. Well, before she said that, I was looking up stuff on my phone, trying to find this poem that my dad really likes when I stumbled across a different one. It was called Light and Shadow Make Up the House by Maria Tavares, a Colombian poet. It's about how light and shadow always go together in every part of our lives that you can't have one without the other. You should look it up later, it's quite moving. My mom thought so too. When I read it, Anna, she, she burst into tears. I mean, you've met her. Gabriela Londonio Rodriguez does not cry, not like that. Admittedly, she also told me that it'd been a bad week in the ward and my dad is still recovering from his surgery, so lots of other things going on. But besides this time, I've only ever seen her cry once, when I left for LA to go to school. After some very careful prying, she actually started talking. Apparently the poem had stirred up a lot for her. Things she'd tried to forget about Colombia, certainly things she'd never told me. Things about my abuela Maria, my mom's mom, who stayed back in Colombia when they left. About the things Maria had seen in their town, their home. Things my mom couldn't explain. <laughs> and now, for the first time, mi vida, I'll tell you. The women in my family have always been gifted, going back a long, long time way back before the arrival of the Spaniards, in the days of my Muisca ancestors. And though many of their stories and memories were lost or destroyed, the patterns, the habits in our family endured. And as I've been told, even if it skips a generation or two, there's always been power in the matrilineal line. My abuela would always talk about Epifania Socorro Gil Contreras, the intuitive healer who knew more about herbs and medicine than anyone she'd ever met, that she knew how to brew the perfect aromatica to cure whatever ailed you, or Celia Hermenegilda Castaneda Suarez, the singer, how she had a voice like an angel and could make up a song right on the spot that would speak to whatever hurts or joys the listener felt. Her skills with the deep lay were unmatched, the strings ringing with a melancholy that would shake a heart of stone. Or Agrippina Socorro Jaramillo Torres, who always knew what the weather was going to be months in advance. Jacinta Isidora Mejia Ortiz had a knack for creating these incredible figurines out of wood that looked so lifelike they... Anyway, 
I've heard so many names and gifts that they all kind of blur together. This one could always tell when someone was lying. This one could think about someone in the morning and have them seek her out at lunchtime. Another could talk to the dead. And another was famous for her legendary cooking. It just goes on and on. It's an unending, ever-branching tree of love and skill and magic. And as distant as all those names feel, I'm a part of that. My abuela was the most recent woman in our line to have a gift. She had premonitions. Vivid ones, too. She would have them about all sorts of things in people's lives. Pregnancies, marriages, career opportunities, inheritances. You get the idea. She loved her gift and loved using it to celebrate with people when the news was good or encourage people when it wasn't. She was good at that. She also kept some beautiful roses. I don't know if that was part of her gift or if that was just her, but I'm told they were beautiful, big and healthy and fragrant. I have one of them, actually, dried out and preserved. An abuela original, all the way from Colombia. But that's for a different part of the story. She'd had her gifts for as long as she could remember. But during the last part of her life, her premonitions became more ominous. And that sense of dread only grew through the decades. At first, the visions were still varied, as they'd always been. Shimmering air that would appear like a wall of invisible fire if she should avoid some part of the countryside. Hakaranda petals that would fall in just the right way when it was a good day to visit the market. A little bird that would come chirp at her door when it was best to stay inside altogether. Little signs that told her how and when to move about her life. Signs that kept her safe. In those days especially, there wasn't much you could do to avoid danger. My parents liked to say that people had God in one hand and a gun in the other. My abuela also had her visions, and over time, they grew stranger, darker. She started seeing something new, a slow-moving shadow. She said it looked like it was being woven out of thin air or squeezed out like unspun wool from some invisible point out of sight would creep around the heads and shoulders of certain people, then stay there. Eventually, it became the only thing she could see. The rest of her familiar premonitions didn't seem to want to share space with this one. And as time went on, she began to realize that the shadow meant one of two things. Either those people would disappear soon, or they would die. My abuela and my parents lived together in a small town in the Municipio de Vélez, Santander, where they'd all grown up. Our ancestors have been there forever, or what feels like forever. It's the only home they ever remembered in any case. They knew everyone, and everyone knew them. They were rooted. The green mountains and cool, overcast skies held them and sheltered them generation after generation. So when the shadow only appeared over people that my abuela Maria knew from the other side of the mountain, she felt grateful that it hadn't touched her own home yet. The familiar hills and trees comforted her, 
and she tried her best not to dwell on her fear. That's how she always got through the heavier premonitions before. Then she started to see the shadow around people in their town. One she didn't know as well, perhaps. But like I said, they knew everyone. And it didn't take long for the shadow to creep into their inner circle. People that my dad worked with. My mom's old classmates. One day, it was two people only a few streets over. People my grandma had danced with in the town plaza just days before. People who lived across the street. People who lived next door. One by one, my abuela would be haunted with these shadow visions, and those people would disappear. Sometimes, the visions were unclear, and the people would find their way back home, or they would get back in contact with their families from another town entirely. There was always the possibility, however slim, that they'd break free from the weave of the shadow. But almost always, they were never seen again. All the same, life continued. It always does. And my family's favorite month, December, was full of reasons to celebrate and cook the best food with one another. It was Christmas Day in 1984 that it happened. My abuela woke with a raging hangover from the aftermath party in the town plaza the previous night. Her feet ached and she felt exhausted, but satisfied. She wandered into the kitchen, planning to brew some coffee before she lay down for another nap, when a powerful vision gripped her. She'd caught sight of my parents, Gabriela and Alejandro, as they slept in the next room. The shadow sat above both their heads. But she saw something else, something she hadn't seen in years. A soft glow, pulsing and shining from my mother's belly. My abuela cried softly, not wanting to wake them. She knew what it meant. The sign of a baby to come. Me. <laughs> and a sign of impending doom. She tried to stay calm. She knew their time was running out, but they'd all been up so late. Laughing, dancing, eating, drinking, celebrating. And it was a Tuesday, after all. My abuela had her superstitions, and this was one of them. It was bad luck to leave the house on a Tuesday, and she would not risk it no matter what she saw. Eventually, my parents did wake up in much the same state as my abuela. Christmas Day for Colombians is a day for resting. The party's over, but the food certainly isn't. There was plenty of mute santanderiano and buñuelos to reheat from the day before, plenty of coffee to drink, and even a bit of natilla left to smooth it all out between naps. My parents wouldn't have thought anything of my abuela's quiet that day, if not for the fact that something in her eyes made her look unbearably sad. Sad and frightened. Night fell. Abuela Maria gathered her strength. And finally, when it was full dark and all was quiet, she told my parents that Gabriela was pregnant. At first, they were shocked. She hadn't had a strong pregnancy vision in years. And then my mom realized that it had to be true. My theory? I think I was conceived on December 8th. 
It's a beautiful day of lighting candles, hanging lights and lanterns, setting off fireworks, dancing, eating even more buñuelos. It's a big deal in Colombia. And if you didn't know, <laughs> it's what's called Día de las Velitas, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. So, you know, I stand before you as the blessing that was promised. <laughs> I sometimes wonder if my parents could have found somewhere else to go. Somewhere else in Colombia or even another country nearby. I wonder what it would have been like to experience all these things for myself. I only know what it's like from what my parents and my little family in the States have been able to recreate. I don't know what it's like to walk down the street in the middle of town and see the celebration everywhere. I don't know what it's like to feel that joy around me. That's a different kind of thing. The smells of the food, the warmth of the lights, the rhythm of your neighbors and your family dancing in the soft glow. It's collective. There's no need to convince your boss for time off work or to call your kid off of school. It's just how it is. My abuela let that sacred, happy moment last as long as she could. She was going to have another grandchild, my parents first, but she did have to tell them the next part. Their lives were in danger. The shadow was upon them, and knowing it would soon be midnight, would soon be a new day, they needed to leave. She wasted no tears telling them this, though she could have wept for days. She needed them to see her strong. My parents pleaded with her. Why did they need to flee now? My abuela warned them that the vision was too strong for them to wait. She'd already waited hours to tell them, but she wanted to soak in their presence just a little longer. So she had, and it would have to do until they saw each other again. My abuela was a persuasive woman. When she set her mind about something, it was all but impossible to throw her off. But more than that, my mother knew that she was right. My abuela had never been wrong about her premonitions. And so, my mother and father gathered up their things in silence. Before they left, abuela gave them one thing, a fresh rose plucked from her garden that morning. I told you the roses would come back into the story, didn't I? She said that if all the petals stayed on the rose as it dried, they would know that she was safe and alive back home, and that her love went with them. And with that, nothing was left to do but the impossible. It was time for them to leave their homeland with no assurance they would ever return. My mom didn't elaborate on that. A lot. She'd told me so much, but I could tell this was hard for her. My dad filled in some of the gaps. He already had an older brother living in the U.S., and they wanted a better life for me. They knew it would be difficult, but they also knew it would be even harder if they weren't with family. So they moved in with my uncle's family in Phoenix, squeezed into a two-bedroom apartment barely big enough for his family. There was my uncle, Santiago, his wife, Sandra Isabella, 
They're twins, Beatriz Elena and Luis Alberto, my parents, and little old me still on the way. There was also Fernando and Paola, an older Colombian couple who weren't strictly speaking related to us, but they came by so often that it didn't matter they weren't family by blood. My parents say that they were able to stay in contact with Abuela Maria for a while. At least once a month, they would place a very short but expensive phone call to her home in Santander. It was enough to hear her voice and know that she was safe, and for her to know that all of us were safe and well. And yes, through all of their journeying and trials to get there, Rose dried beautifully, all petals intact. Then September 1st, 1985 rolled around. My mom went into labor right after mass. My dad was on a job site in Flagstaff at the time, but he rushed to her side in the hospital. On the way though, he stopped by the florist to grab nine roses, one for each member of our Phoenix family and one for me, to welcome me into the world. After we all left the hospital and returned home, my dad arranged the new roses in a bouquet to dry around the first one. They said those early days were full of chaos, but so much love. Four adults, two toddlers, and one stubborn and cuddly newborn. They tried contacting my abuela to tell her the good news, but no one picked up. When I was a few days old, one of her neighbors called instead. My abuela Maria had died the same day I was born, peacefully at least, in her sleep. Everything passes. The good, of course, but even the bad. It has a natural limit. Life will always continue. Or, as my parents used to say, No hay mal que dure cien años, ni cuerpo que lo aguante. There is no evil that lasts a hundred years, nor a body that can withstand it. My parents have always talked about her as if she's still with us. And I guess, you know, I'm not religious anymore, but... I suppose I feel that too. Because of her visions, my parents are still alive. And so am I. And it is worth pointing out that all of those roses to this day haven't lost a single petal. Wow, I, um, thank you, Maria. Glad I could share it. How does it feel to listen to all of that again? I'm proud. I'm sad. I want to hug my family. They sound amazing. They are. Have you ever been able to visit Colombia with them? No. My parents always seemed afraid to go back, like it would reopen old wounds. I think they've had to stay detached for so long just to survive, to build a life for us. For me. If they would go with me, though, I'd love to take them. I've been saving everything Isfa's been paying me. I haven't really needed to spend any of it 
Maybe I could. You're thinking of leaving? I... I don't know if I'm in the right place, Kate. I guess I'm not sure what I'm doing here. I feel like I haven't been able to... let go? If Anna's not dead, then it all just feels like... bitterness. And I can't let go of it. I can't stop thinking about what I saw in my mom's eyes when she told me the story. The resentment that stayed with her, her whole life. How she hasn't been able to let go of that either. Maybe it's time. Wait, uh, sorry, I, I need you to say that again, Cherry. You're Thurgood Vice. <laughs> you know, I knew something was up when you bought those fancy new soldiers. All right, all right, one at a time, please. <sighs> yes, Sam, I've been writing under the pen name of Thurgood Vice since I left Agate Shore. Robin's Run was my first book, but I wanted to stay... You know, anonymous. First book and runaway success. It wasn't like I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it was. God damn, man. I'm so proud of you. Seriously, you wrote that. It is one of the best goddamn thrillers I've read in years. <laughs> oh, thanks, Rob. I'll be sure to put that on the cover of the next one. And now you're leaving. Yeah. Look, Sam, I never wanted to end up in this situation. I was in the middle of my next manuscript when you all showed up at my door. If the publishers are happy with it, then it's big money. Get out of Oslo for good kind of money. I thought you liked your place. I do. I spent a long time trying to get there, but honestly... I don't like being in Morrison's reach any more than you do. I'm far enough out of town that I don't have to see him all that often, but... Nevada isn't it. Not for me. I want to be somewhere greener. Somewhere with trees and shade and the sound of birds in the morning. If I can sell this next book in time, I can do that. I don't have to settle for something that's just okay. I've tried working on it here, but it's not happening. This place is just too sterile, and Dr. Caldwell knows something. I'm sure of it. I can't afford to get sidetracked or blocked by someone who thinks what I want doesn't matter. I need to go home. I... I respect that, Jerry. And I can't believe you kept that a secret for so long. This is exactly why I kept it a secret for so long. I don't want to be famous. I don't even want people to know. I just want to be left alone. And, uh, I'm telling you three because I'd love for you to come visit. Even if I'm working. Whenever you're, uh, whenever you're done with all this. Unless? Unless? You could come back to Oslo with me? What? I see what you've been through, Bill. You... you need rest. Uh, maybe we should, love. I don't know. I... I appreciate that, Jerry, but 
It feels like I have unfinished business here. I I have to stay. All right. Just watch your backs, though. I know Isfa's doing some kind of tests and whatnot on Bill, but I don't think that's all they're doing. I think they're collecting data on all of us. All the time. Like lab rats. Come on, Jerry. I... I know this place can make you paranoid, but I don't think... It's not paranoia, Sam. I honestly can't think of any other reason they want us to stay so badly. But if you don't want to go, that's your choice. It's my time to leave them. I'm going to miss you, buddy. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Y'all take care of yourselves. Uh, Before you go, Jerry... Yeah? Could you wake me up in the morning before you leave? I want to say goodbye to Russell. (laughs) I'll do you one better, Sam. Russell can stay with you tonight. I usually don't let him up on the bed, so it'll be a treat for him, too. We've got a long drive ahead of us. Thank you, Jerry. (laughs) Well, come on, let's go get the little monster. (laughs) After you. Episode 63, Todo Se Pasa, starring Aaron Neely Chaconis as Anna Sheridan, Amitola Lomas as Maria Sol, Chris Allison as Daniela Caldwell, Sam Taylor as Ren Park, Virginia Spots as Kate Sheridan, Trevor Van Winkle as Sam Bailey, Maurice Cooper as Jerry Price, Chris Martin as Robert Quincy, and Jesse Steele as Bill Tyler, with original music by Jesse Hogan. Virginia Spots and Pian Londonio and produced by Virginia Spots with dialogue editing and sound design by Trevor Van Winkle. Visit thesheridantapes.com to view additional content, rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, and connect with us on Twitter at Sheridantapes and on Instagram at The Sheridantapes. I'm Trevor Van Winkle, this is Homestead on the Corner, and you're listening to The Sheridan Tapes.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.